Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Tonight, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misik is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, tonight at 9, 8 central on CBS. Tonight, it's the CBS original comedy, The Neighborhood. I need at least a month to prepare for a debate, not six hours. Actually, it's four hours. <laughs> no, my watch is broken, too. With Cedric the Entertainer, Max Greenfield, and guest star Wayne Brady. You gotta fund the schools or graduate fools. I stole all my lines. Look, don't worry, I got a plan. Okay, well, what is it? Okay, so I don't have a plan. A new episode of The Neighborhood. You're gonna have to give them a show. Tonight, 8, 7 central on CBS. I think every year is different. You know, obviously, postseason, um, you have that experience to draw on. So um, just trying to, you know, learn from that as best you can. But, you know, at the same time, every year is different. Every team is different. The Rays are a different team than the Astros and the Red Sox. And um, so, you know, I'm going to prepare like I always do and be as ready as I can be and um, excited about another opportunity to get it done. Game one of the World Series tonight. Tyler Glass now going for the Tampa Bay Rays. Clayton Kershaw takes game one, takes the hill for game one for the Dodgers. And uh, a lot of interesting storylines in this one, and I'll save some of that for later during the clubhouse headlines discussion. But you know, Clayton Kershaw going tonight, L.A. as a sports city, is already having a pretty good 2020, having just won the NBA Finals, and now with a chance to win the World Series as well, uh, I don't think the Rams or the Chargers, either one, will be hoisting the Lombardi Trophy at season's end. So that one's probably out, and the Stanley Cup playoffs are already over. And that was one, uh, the, the city that brought home the Stanley Cup trophy, Lord Stanley's Cup, Tampa Bay. The Tampa Bay Lightning won the Stanley Cup playoffs, the championship a couple of weeks ago, and now they have a team in the World Series in the Tampa Bay Rays facing the Dodgers. So it's either L.A. or Tampa Bay adding to, despite the the, the the atrocity that is 2020, the year in its entirety, you know, a pretty good sports year. Either L.A. or Tampa looking to add to that. And there's a great piece about this in the Tampa Bay Times this morning that uh, the, the Lightning have won the Stanley Cup and now the Rays are in the World Series. If the Rays can beat the Dodgers and the Bucks can somehow collect a Super Bowl, and they're the favorites right up there with uh, the Kansas City Chiefs, it will go down as the greatest single sports year experienced by just about any American city. And like I just said, similarly, uh, Los Angeles can pick up two major championships in less than a month with the Dodgers win. But until the World Series is decided, uh, I mean, you're talking about a year that would likely surpass the greatest year that any other sports city has had throughout history. I mean, there have been some good ones, too. Like the, the city of Pittsburgh back in 78 and, and 80 
when uh, the, the the Pittsburgh Pirates, Willie Stargell and company, you know, win the World Series. The Steelers were on their way to their second straight Super Bowl, and that same autumn, the Pitt Panthers had an 11 and one season and uh, top 10 team in the Associated Press behind Dan Marino. You know, so pretty good year in Pittsburgh in 1979 slash 80. Boston, they they've had a pretty good decade and a half run. But not much was better than 2004-2005 when uh, the Yankees were down to their last inning in the ALCS. The Red Sox rally for a 12-inning triumph in Game 4. And, uh, of course, we know what happens there. The Red Sox become the only team in Major League Baseball history to come back from a 3-0 series deficit. Then they sweep the Cardinals in the World Series for their first title since 1918. And Tom Brady and company, shortly thereafter, leads the Patriots to a 14-2 record that same fall en route to the Patriots' second straight Super Bowl and third in four seasons. I mean, there have been some really impressive singular seasons in sports history, but if Tampa Bay could pull that off, it would be one of the great sports seasons, probably the greatest, again, sports season any city has experienced, Smoke. The NHL Stanley Cup play, or the, the, the title in the Stanley Cup, uh, the World Series, and if the Bucks could do it, a Super Bowl. All of this could fall apart. It could be just the lightning when it's all said and done, because I do think the Dodgers will win the World Series. And I, I think the Bucks should be a favorite, but I'm far from convinced they're going to win. It could be a special year, but there's a long ways to go. Yeah, and, you know, for the most part, the fact that this would happen in Tampa Bay of all places would be unfathomable because two of the teams, despite the Bucks already having a Super Bowl in their repertoire from 2002, these uh, Bucks and the Rays have kind of been footnotes in both of their respective leagues. Now, the Lightning have actually been a consistent uh, team in the NHL over the past 15 to 20 years. But the, the fact that we're talking about the Bucks with Tom Brady, the greatest quarterback of all time, according to a lot of people, not me. Uh, but, you know, I it, it, it would be amazing. And then the Rays coming out of nowhere over the past. It's been a slow build for the Rays. Kevin Cash has done a tremendous job down in Tampa. They have one of the lowest payrolls in all of Major League Baseball. Such tremendous pitching across the board. Not the best hitting, but hey, that pitching is so strong. And they would be going against the Dodgers. The Dodgers with one of the highest payrolls, if not the highest payroll in Major League Baseball. And if they were to somehow pull out a World Series win by beating the Dodgers, it would just cap off an already amazing season in Tampa Bay sports and make it just that much more special. Well, and and I think when it comes to pro sports titles... And the singular, the singular greatest pro sports season any city has ever seen. Uh, at last check, and I was reading about this this morning, and I can't find anything to the contrary, and I think that would be pretty evident if it existed. The, the greatest singular season that any sports city has ever experienced, you'd have to go all the way back to 1935-36 in Detroit. Um, this type of trifecta has not occurred since then. The Tigers beat the Cubs in six games for their first World Series title in October 1935. Then the Lions trounced the Giants 26-7 in what was then the NFL championship game two months later. wasn't even the Super Bowl yet. And the Red Wings were embarking on a Stanley Cup season that culminated with their win over the Maple Leafs in the best-of-five finals the following April. So in less than a year, Detroit had a trifecta of a a World Series, an NFL championship, and a Stanley Cup between mid-1935 and mid-1936. And nothing like that has been done since then. Nothing like it. And, And that's what Tampa Bay has the opportunity to accomplish, having won the Stanley Cup with a team in the World Series and, and a team in the NFL with Tom Brady and the Bucks that looks like they're at least going to be in the playoffs and a chance to go deep. 
into the postseason. So a, a potentially special year in Tampa. And and as I said a couple of minutes ago, you know, New England and the, the greater, well, Boston, but the greater New England region has had some really good years over the last decade and a half. Think about what it was like. And this is something that I've learned having married into a New England family a couple of years ago and kind of becoming an honorary New Englander now, going up there a couple of times every year. You know, the, the millennial sports fans in Boston have no idea what torture feels like. They have no idea how bad things used to be. You know, the Celtics were good in the 80s. You know, with Larry Bird and company, and had a couple of good teams with Paul Pierce, obviously, in, in the first decade, the aughts, if you will. You know, but the Celtics weren't dominant. The Red Sox, as we know, hadn't won a World Series since 1918. And before Tom Brady and the Patriots came along, the New, New England as an organization was just meh. I mean, they, they'd been to a Super Bowl. That was about it. So they've experienced an unbelievable run of success since 2005, especially. I mean, the Patriots won a Super Bowl before that. But when the rest of the Boston sports scene started to catch up, it's been a hell of a run, which makes the, vi the vitriol that you can hear most days on Boston sports radio a little bit uh, just out of place, kind of shocking. Maybe it shouldn't be because Boston is just a, a rough and tumble, hard-nosed, blue-collar city. Everybody's cold and angry all the time. I get it. But they win all the time up there. And it seems like they take it for granted a lot, doesn't it? It seems like they really take it for granted. And these two guys in particular make a lot of headlines. I just wanted to play this because it's another snapshot of just the misery that Boston Sports Radio loves wallowing in. Bill Belichick and the New England Patriots are under 500 in November for the first time in like two decades. I mean, it hasn't happened in forever. They're two and three. You know, they got a game rescheduled, got pushed back. They didn't have an opportunity to play it. They didn't look good this past Sunday against the Broncos because between the opt-outs and the injuries and Cam Newton not practicing at all for the last two weeks just about, you understand why they might lose a football game. But apparently for the Boston Sports Radio guys up there, Felger and Maz, it's now the opportunity for them to you know, crap all over Bill Belichick. Team was not prepared, and we all said it always oh, like a chorus around here. Well, they'll be the, you know, of all the guys that could deal with no preseason or a different training camp or lost days and time due to COVID, who's the best, you know, who's going to clean up on that? Bill's going to clean up on that. Instead, his team was not ready, and they kind of kind of gave in. I say they, meaning the coaches, Bill did. Oh, I thought he did. I told you. That, to me, that was like, whoa, what's going on there? Not to mention the two-point conversion. What the hell was that all about? Too busy blaming Goodell like a bunch of eight-year-olds. Too busy blaming a locker room the size of a locker room. Too busy blaming this, that, and the other. Versus what? Getting ready for a game or doing the best they can to get ready for a game and blocking out the distractions and overcoming adversity like Tennessee's done just fine. And instead, you're the team that succumbed to it, that wasn't ready. Mm. That's a sign of a coach that's losing his fastball. Sorry. <laughs> uh, 98.5, the sports hub, Felger and Maz. That's the, the source of that audio right there. They stay angry. They, 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 there's, that's the brand, though, Smoke. They, uh, I guess it just works, man. It works for them. But here we are. The, the first season post-Brady, before the, the football ever got started up there, Marcus Cannon, Dante Hightower, Patrick Chung, Matt Lacoste, Najee Tarrant, they're all opting out. They've dealt with some injuries already, and, and the COVID stuff on top of that. 
And now it's, oh, well, I mean, we, Bill Belichick looks like he's lost his fastball. Here we were, you know, heaping all this praise preseason on the greatest coach of all time. You know, and, and all of a sudden, he's not winning the way that he has the last 20 years. Lost his fastball. Time to kick this guy's ass out of town. That's Boston Sports Radio in a nutshell, man. Well, and the, the icing on the cake for all this was they were, compl- they were saying, oh, how he would have had this team ready with all the COVID situation going down. <laughs> but they can't do it. The Titans got to do it. But as this was going on, they're in studio. It's on video because they have their show on TV. And there's plexiglass between both of them. There's plexiglass. And, I mean, you, you couldn't write that any better. It's just like it, and they, one little hump in the road, one little bump in the road. And it's, oh, my God, it's over. It's over. We're all done. We're doomed. They're going to be, I think they'll most likely be fine. You want to talk about losing perspective right there. But again, it's kind of a shtick, too. I mean, Felger's a Wisconsin guy. He's not even a Boston sports fan. And so his thing is to kind of dump on the, the teams in that city anyway. And they don't care. The fans enjoy it so much that you got a guy from Wisconsin dumping all over the, the local teams all the time. You know, taking shots at the greatest coach of all time who's delivered six Super Bowl champions. And they lap it up because that is the angriest sports city in America. It's <laughs> it is hilarious to me. I think it's so fun. And, you know, they're, uh, Cam Newton dives on a fumble Sunday against the Broncos. And, you know, people, are, they're taking the, the opportunities to throw shots at their own quarterback. Boston Sports Radio, I've been saying it for years, that, that psychologists need to study Boston Sports Radio. Because it's unlike anything else, not just in the country, but in the world. How much fun was that? All right. Well, we're, uh, I think, pleasantly surprised with the football team here in Charlotte and the greater Carolinas. Three and three. Not many folks expected them to be there at this point in the year. And I've been talking about it accordingly, for the most part. I do have some some issues that I want to try to work through a little bit later in the show because it feels like Teddy Bridgewater is getting some, let's just say, a vastly different treatment than Cam Newton did in certain ways. And it's worth the conversation. And we might touch on some of that when we come back with Josh Sims, Fox 46, sports anchor, reporter, He'll join us. Does he think Carolina can bounce back in New Orleans on Sunday? He'll tell you next here in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. Two by two set, one back. Bridgewater in the shotgun, shows the white glove on each end. Paradise is center, has the snap, climbs the pocket, goes long and low, stretched out for the catch, and Anderson made it. Mick Mixon, voice of the Panthers, Carolina Panthers Radio Network. Robbie Anderson, one of the silver linings in Sunday's loss to the Bears. Uh, He is definitively at this point, as we've said a couple of times, the best wide receiver on this team through six games here in 2020. Uh, DJ Moore, a obvious hot topic of discussion, five catches, 93 yards, but couple of drops, some mental miscues. He, he continues to be a bit of a roller coaster ride. We'll get to that and everything we can right now with Josh Sims, Fox 46, sports anchor, reporter. He is back with us on the Technicom hotline, one of the hardest working men in television. Josh, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, man. How you doing? Kyle? I'm doing well, doing well. Uh, let's start with, uh, first and foremost, the news yesterday that uh, just, uh, having already been in the intensive protocol for COVID because of some Falcons positive tests last week, uh, there was an unconfirmed test result that forced the Panthers to work remotely. They're still hoping to, I believe, practice tomorrow. Josh, is that right? What's the latest on that front? Yeah, that's that's the goal. So they're practiced at home or they worked virtually yesterday. Work today virtually. I mean, typically they're off on Tuesdays anyway. The coaches would be in the buildings, but not the players. And then Matt Rule said the hope is that they'll be back on the practice field tomorrow um, as they continue to evaluate and, and see what happens. And, and the biggest concern 
concern with this is while Matt Rule didn't want to say it was an excuse for last week, he is very set in his routine. And he said last week they were a little bit thrown off being in the intensive protocol. They had to switch some days in which they did practice, and that did throw them off their normal routine a bit. It could have been part of the effect on Sunday. He's not using that as an excuse, like I said, but you could tell it still bothered him uh, that they weren't able to do what they normally do leading up to a game on Sunday. Yeah, I mean, I, it's it's a thing the entire league is dealing with in some way, shape, or form, Josh, some worse than others. But you know, how much does this compound the already you know tenuous injury situation? You're going up against the Saints team on Sunday that we know is good. You have to be ready to go. And on top of being down a couple of players, now you're – you're being forced to work in a little bit different way. I would think this puts them behind the eight ball, even if just a little bit more. Yeah, I mean, this is a team that really needs practice. I mean, you know, during that three-game winning streak, we weren't talking too much about the chemistry and gelling because it looked like they had gelled. But we still got to remember just all the new pieces. And we saw it a little bit on Sunday with, you know, with uh, DJ Moore, that is, and Teddy Bridgewater, still trying to establish that chemistry. And they were off on positions. And Matt Rule said as much, not just DJ, but several of the wide receivers were out of position, not running the right plays. And that's just something that comes with practice and getting to know your team and the plays and where you need to be on the field. Because with no Curtis Samuel, other guys had to step in and play more minutes than they're used to. And and they may not have known where they needed to be at times. And and specifically with DJ and and Teddy, you know, the drops or or just not being in the right place, some of those things kind of reared their head and they're still working. I mean, this is a young team in terms of getting to know each other. They're still working to get to know each other, and and that's why it hurts not having the normal practice time that they would to work out these kinks so they can be clicking on Sundays. Josh Sims, Fox 46. He's with us on the Technicom hotline. Something that I got into yesterday, and I'm going to talk a bit more about here in just a little while, Josh, is the criticism of Teddy Bridgewater coming out of Sunday's game. Quarterbacks, the position is going to garner the most praise and the most blame when things go wrong. That's just how it goes. But when you actually look at the film from Sunday's game, in your opinion, how much of the offensive stagnation or, or just failures, you know, were, were the fault of Teddy Bridgewater as opposed to on any given play, the offensive line or the wide receiver or any number of things, how much blame falls on Teddy Bridgewater himself? Yeah, that's the key right there, because you have to look at the totality of what was happening on any given play. And, you know, going back and watching the film, Matt Rule talked about initially he thought it was the fact that there was constant pressure on Teddy Bridgewater all afternoon long. Uh, when he rewatched it, and yesterday he told us as much, he said a number of issues was that receivers just weren't open. You know, so Teddy can't get rid of the ball if the guys aren't open down the field. And the result is Teddy ends up either holding the ball too long or he has to take off. I mean, he rushed the ball eight times last game. That's not something typically we see from Teddy Bridgewater in this offense. Yes, he can scramble. Yes, he can use his legs, but that is not the goal. He wants to go through his progressions and get the ball out to those receivers. But if they're not open, then Teddy's put in a bad situation. And like you said, if the offensive line can't protect the way they need to, then they're also in a bit of an issue with Teddy making some mistakes. And, you know, Teddy, you know, he took – credit and he said he shouldn't have thrown those those interceptions of course but it's you know they always say it's the ultimate team game and if the guys around him aren't doing their job then it makes it a lot more difficult for Teddy to do his job and Russell Kuhn took some some blame after the game as well saying those you know those two penalties he had uh were a big reason he said I got to be better and you know that's on the offensive line those are the guys protecting Teddy and if you're putting your quarterback in bad situation with penalties right off the bat 
and they're backed up deep in their own territory, you're going to have to force some things and try and make plays that just aren't there. So, so those are some of the issues, uh, not just all on Teddy, but on the guys around him in that game. Josh, go a little deeper on DJ Moore because I, I just I want your thoughts. I I get the people responding to the show when I'm critical of DJ and we get those who say he's a bust they took the wrong wide receiver they should have taken Calvin Ridley in the first round but the others who will say you know DJ had five catches for 93 yards you know he's some of these balls are behind him or it's not all on him but the DJ more defenders will show up and and I try to tell him Josh I still like DJ I think he's got a lot of potential and ability you know but it's it's been a roller coaster ride what what is your impression of DJ in year three through six weeks I think the thing about it, Kyle, is at this point in year three, we want him to be consistent. We want to see the guy that, you know, doesn't have the drops like he does. Like one play, he'll make a a fantastic catch down the sideline or he'll go up and grab the ball or he'll just catch the ball and run through tackles. And he looks like the beast that we were hoping he would be. And you turn around to the next play and and he drops the catch he should have had. He's out of position. And and that is the concern right there, Kyle, because you want to see that consistency from a guy that, first of all, we thought was going to be the number one receiver on this team. So we're holding him to that standard, and I think this year a lot of us have yielded to the fact that he is the number two and Robbie is the number one. But in a situation on Sunday where it seemed evident that Teddy wanted to go to DJ Moore, that he has got to make those plays and lift up his quarterback when he's in a situation where there's constant pressure on him. So I think that's where we get, you know, you you got the DJ defenders because they still see the potential. But also, when you're speaking about it, I I see where you're coming from because at this point, we want to see that consistency. Because like you said, we see what Calvin Ridley is doing down in Atlanta. We want DJ to be that, and he is not that to this point. Can he get there? Yes, but in the third season is when these guys usually either take off or, or we say they aren't what we thought they were. That's the concern. Josh Sims, Fox 46, Charlotte sports anchor, sports reporter. He's with us on the Technicom hotline. I I talked to Marty Herney about this yesterday, and I'd love your take. With KK Short done for the season, Matos on IR, but hopefully getting him back in a couple of weeks and, you know, dealing with, uh, you know, just the injuries that you deal with throughout the course of a 16-game regular season. The trade deadline's fast approaching here in about two and a half weeks. And, you know, signing guys off the street in 2020 maybe isn't the same as it is in a normal year, but do you think this team should look to add to this roster in the next two to three weeks? Yeah, I definitely think they should. If, if the season had gone the way we all kind of thought it would, where maybe they were, you know, a one-win team at this point, then, yeah, you, you pick up guys off the street and start trying to stay afloat and improve each and every week. But when you look at a team that's 3-3 three and three and showed signs that they could make a push for the playoffs, then you got to be all in. If you can get a guy by making a trade that can help make this team better, and, and like you said, I mean, Gross Matos should be coming back. Christian McCaffrey should be coming back. You know, we, we, we don't know the extent of Justin Burris' injury, but we hope to have him back this season. But you have pieces there that can get this team into the playoffs. So you want to make that push by bringing in anybody and anybody you can to help improve this team. And if you can go out and get some strength on that defensive line, because like you said, they are beat up. Not having KK is certainly a huge issue. And the longer you go in the season, the more these guys get worn down, the more the injuries come, and you need depth. And at some point, you know, this team is going to have too many young guys and too many inexperienced guys to to get the push that they need on that defensive line. So, uh, yeah, if they can bring somebody in, it's certainly something they need to look at. All right, New Orleans on Sunday, and, you know, expectedly, Carolina is a basically a touchdown underdog in this game going down to New Orleans. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what to expect from this team until I see how many guys they're going to have available, but 
it is also concerning, at least from a Panther standpoint, that you know, the Saints are going to be rested. They're, they're coming off a Monday night win over the Chargers last week, and they'll have nearly two full weeks of rest going into this game. What, what are your general expectations for this one? Uh, could you see Carolina going down there and stealing a win? Yeah, the thing about normal years when you go down to, to you know New Orleans to play, it's tough to win in that building. I mean, the atmosphere is usually one of the biggest hindrances of the Panthers having success. But you know they're not going to have fans. It's a completely different atmosphere down there that gives the Panthers. I don't want to say an, an advantage, but it gives them a little more of a chance in this game. Yes, it is concerning that the Saints did have that rest time. Uh, you know they're going to be fresh going into this game. They could get Michael Thomas back in this game. You know so. You know, I, I see the advantage for the Saints of this one. It's just a matter of what type of prep the Panthers have going into this game. If they're in the intensive protocol or they can't practice for some reason, then, you know, the Saints could easily walk away with this one. If if the Panthers are, A, pissed off at what happened last Sunday, which I think a lot of the guys are, I want to bounce back. If they can get some guys healthy and ready to go, they can get Curtis Samuel back for this weekend. But, yeah, they got a shot in this game. You know, like playing on the road is a lot different this year. Uh, the Saints, I mean, just looking at it on paper, are a better team, but that doesn't mean the Panthers can't make it a game or can't steal one on the road. It's just a matter of how the prep goes this week. Can they fix the issues they had, whether it's in the red zone, because that is the biggest concern right now with this team. If they can't punch it in the end zone when they get in the red zone, then they don't have a shot against this Saints team. And if they can't get better on third down, the same issue. So it's about practice this week. It's about improving where where they're having issues, and that will give them a shot. If not, then they're not coming out of that building with a win. Love it. Josh Sims, you're the man, buddy. Always appreciate your time. We'll see you soon. All right, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Take care. There you go. Josh Sims, Fox 46, Charlotte sports anchor, sports reporter. He is always there. Sunday, he'll be in the Big Easy covering Panthers and Saints in New Orleans. And uh, I I don't – well, he'll be there. He'll be in attendance covering the game, but uh, don't think many fans still will be in attendance given the – Mayor of New Orleans not really budging, at least at last check, and letting the Saints have you know, fans in the stadium. And uh, last week we talked about it, the Saints threatening to go play in Baton Rouge as a way to get fans in the building and that sort of thing. But Josh will be down there covering that game. And a uh, quick reminder, by the way, uh, we are a green light this afternoon for our maiden voyage on the Sports Radio FNZ Twitch stream directly after the show uh, we'll be live on Twitch, myself and Smoke. Smoke, I, I feel like, first of all, I didn't want to create a beef out of thin air, and I don't like creating beefs, fake ones anyway. Uh, there's nothing better than a sports radio fight. But I, Mac and Bone stole our post-game show idea. Like, we were going to do the, the, the Twitch post-game show after the clubhouse every day on Twitch. They're calling theirs the post-game show now. So I, I don't know what we're going to call our post-show Twitch conversation with people. I just told him a few minutes ago, I'm just going to learn how to play the banjo every day on Twitch. I don't know. I mean, they stole our post-game idea. I don't know. We'll call it the after party. That sounds a lot more cooler. Okay. What we should do is we should crowdsource topics today. That's what we'll do, especially in the final hour of the show. As we go live on Twitch after the show today, me and Smoke in our uh, digital FNZ studio next door, we'll we'll take some topics that you want to hear us get into on our very first post-show game. See, I, I don't even feel good saying it because they stole my thing. I told Terry Fox weeks ago, "Hey, we're gonna do a, uh, we're gonna call it the post game show." And sure enough, Mac and Bone steal the idea. I know it's super original. Well, hey, well, I mean, they didn't trademark it, so <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll crowdsource some stuff to get into on Twitch. I am. I'm just gonna bring a banjo in here and learn how to play the banjo for 15 minutes every day after the show live on Twitch. We'll come back. We'll tell you who balled out last night. 
You're in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. Kane is in the building. <laughs> Last night, Monday Night Football, so uh, limited options, but I, I suspect I know where smoke may go with his. What you got? Kenyon Drake, the former Alabama running back, had 20 carries, 164 yards, and two touchdowns. Take that, you Cl- uh, Cliff Kingsbury haters. The air raid, you can also run the ball as well. Also, another interesting thing, Kenyon Drake, before he was in Arizona, he was a part of the Miami Dolphins. Who was the coach there? Adam Gase. Mm. Mm. Another one. Another mm. one of those mysterious cases of a player getting better after he leaves, leaves Adam Gase. I, I think it's a trend, Kyle. That's uh, more on that in just a moment because there was a column written yesterday that I think needs to be at least mentioned because I don't think scathing does it justice to say what Manish Mehta of the New York Post, or Daily News rather, wrote about Adam Gase. More on that in just a second. For me, you know, it's, uh, it's Kansas City Chiefs driven. Patrick Mahomes. I mean, not eye-popping numbers, but 21 of 26, 225 yards, two touchdowns, no picks, and a QB rating of uh, 128.4. Yeah, no big deal. Also, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, 26 carries, 161 yards, 6.2 yards per carry. That is ridiculous. Also, last night, Travis Kelsey, five catches, 65 yards, two touchdowns. But last night was a great example of how Patrick Mahomes, he's cool without putting up 400 yards a game. Doesn't need to. You want to run it 45 times? Do that. Do it. That's what they did. They literally ran the football 46 times last night against the Buffalo Bills. Patrick Mahomes just wants to win, Smoke. That's the thing. He's the superstar, the MVP, the the, the Super Bowl champion. But just like uh, some of the other all-time greats, he doesn't care if he throws it 46 times a game or if they run it 46 times a game so long as they get the dub. Yeah, I mean, things aren't going bad for him. Let's see. He's won a Super Bowl already. He uh, now owns a part of the Major League Baseball team. Not bad. He's the richest uh, quarterback ever. And he's uh, now engaged, and he's now about to become a father. What could possibly go wrong? Well, I can't well, say that. Well, don't but, say that. Yeah, but, but he, I mean, 2020 has actually been a good year for him. That's very true. And that is who balled out. 704-570-9610. Asa Abloy phone lines. Building center text line. And find me on Twitter, at Kyle Bailey Club. And while I'm at it, because I'm seeing pictures and you know photos and posts on Twitter and Instagram and, and well, I'll say Facebook. I don't see them there, but I know they're on Facebook of folks out there voting early at various locations across the country. Are you ready to make your vote count on Election Day? Rules and deadlines are different in North and South Carolina. If you're planning for early voting, make sure you know the deadlines. If voting by mail, uh, follow the instructions closely. Go to vote411.org for details. Have a plan. Stay safe. Vote and make it count. Now, you just mentioned Adam Gase. A moment ago, um, I, I would uh, if you I, I'm not going to recommend that people read this because if you're not a Jets fan, you probably don't care. Some people will because it's interesting. But yesterday afternoon, I was, it was reflexively doing what a lot of people do. And that's anytime I have five seconds of downtime, reach for my phone and open up Twitter. It's a disease, but uh, I'm battling it. And I open it up to see a tweet from Manish Mehta, who covers the New York Jets for the New York Daily News. Now, Adam Gase is 
losing supporters and has been for a while in New York. And as Meta writes in this column, even in his own building, clearly Manish Meta and Adam Gase do not get along well. I believe there's some history there. There has to be, given what Meta wrote about him. Now, this is not even in the, the article or the column itself, Smoke, but the tweet that was pushing the article yesterday from Manish Mehta reads like this, quote, Adam Gase is more than a bad NFL head coach. He is a malignant, duplicitous presence that consistently trashes his own players, coaches and front office behind the scenes to shield himself from blame, a cancer that must be removed right now, end quote. That's what Manish Mehta wrote about the head coach of the New York Jets yesterday in the New York Daily News. Now, I see the expression on your face is something along the lines of, eh, yeah, he's not wrong or something. Think about what he just wrote. I mean, that that's not common in American culture, unfortunately, in 2020, because of how divisive and toxic our politics have become. We're just, we're, we've become accustomed to people saying terrible things about each other. But columnists and beat writers don't often write things like that. A, a malicious or malignant, duplicitous presence and a cancer that must be removed right now. And that's to say nothing of what was written in the article itself. Safe to say, first of all, it's surprising that there have been not one but two head coaches already fired by week six, and one of them is not Adam Gase. And, you know, the fact that it's gotten this bad, I, I, I didn't think that it would necessarily work out with Adam Gase in New York I didn't know that it would get this bad. You've got beat writers writing things like that. He's, he's running out of um, friends in his own building. His players clearly don't show up inspired wanting to play for him. I, this is probably going to be Adam Gase's last head coaching job in the NFL. I think that's a safe bet at this point. Yeah, the, uh, the shine of pay, uh, working with Peyton Manning in Denver has completely worn off on Adam Gase. Look, you can say what you will about his time in Miami. Was it underachieving was it actually pretty good considering the circumstances i mean lest we forget his first year in miami he took the dolphins to the playoffs which feels weird now but we're already at the point where it's a year and a half in the the day he walked in that building he wanted Le'Veon bell gone he wanted one of the best running backs gone because he didn't like him yep i mean he was there what was he there brought in to do get this good quarterback who is the future of the franchise sam darnold the Jets fans have been wanting him for a year and a half. Ever since they saw him beat Penn State in the Rose Bowl, they said, that's our guy. We want to suck for that guy right there. Yep. And what did he do? He's seen ghosts. For crying out loud, Sam Darnold got mono. I mean, everything that has gone wrong, has, I mean, everything that could go wrong has gone wrong for Sam Darnold under Adam Gase. That is the end-all, be-all. Why he was brought into New York was to get Sam Darnold going and to let him become a franchise quarterback that they thought he would become. And it's absolutely fallen flat on his face to the point where you're starting Joe Flacco taking sacks 30 yards behind the line of scrimmage to suck against the Dolphins, a team who has already rebuilt quicker than you have with less i mean <laughs> with ryan fitzpatrick you got people picking them to win the division right now dan graziano just did it this morning on get out pick the dolphins to win the division i mean all it took was for them to rid themselves of adam Gase, and they have a lot bright future a lot of great young pieces and it shows how much coaching matters coaching matters so much in these situations we were saying uh the dolphins are going to tank they're not even going to win a game last year what happens they go and win five games they cost the patriots a seeding in the afc which eventually led to them losing in the wild card round to the titans and now this year they're already at 500 as you said people are already thinking that they could be an outside chance to win to the division i mean 
Well, here's the thing. Texter writes in. Uh, Spence says, KB, the Jets don't want to screw up their chances of drafting Trevor, so don't expect them to fire Gase. I don't necessarily think that's true, though I do understand your line of logic there. You, you don't stick with Gase just because, you know, of, of that particular goal. Your team is so bad right now that, that firing Adam Gase is not going to change anything. It's not. It's not going to change anything. That, that place is toxic. Uh, the, the, I mean, Le'Veon Bell, Jamal Adams, these guys are gone. They wanted out. Robbie Anderson, the best thing that could have happened to that guy's career was getting the hell out of New York. You know, and, and Florham Park, that whole area in general. I understand what you're saying, Spence, but I don't think keeping or firing Gase at this point is going to change much about how bad this football team is. What I'm curious to see, and I don't know that he'll necessarily do it because he doesn't strike me as this kind of kid. And he's not a kid. He's a grown man. But neither did Eli Manning. If you're Trevor Lawrence, aren't you looking at the New York Jets right now and thinking to yourself, how do I get out of that? How do I avoid that without also becoming the villain in this story? You know, Tim writes in Building Center text line to say, KB, if you could wager 100 bucks on Trevor Lawrence pulling an Eli slash Elway on the Jets organization, would you do it? I hope Trevor does it for the sake of his career. Wouldn't blame him. Yeah, I mean, this. I, I still think that Joe Douglas hire as a GM was a good hire. I do. I think that Joe, Joe Douglas needed to be given time. Once he got that job, they fired Mike McCagnan last year, and it was a whole mess, and when they did it and everything. But Joe Douglas, I still believe, was a good hire for them. Joe Douglas isn't just tasked with fixing a roster. He's tasked with fixing an entire organization, one that lacks culture, one that lacks uh, any winning history, you know, any of that stuff. So I I'm looking at it, and I'm thinking, okay, Joe Douglas still, I, still, I think, has a good chance as anybody would have to help improve that organization. And if I'm Joe Douglas, you know, I'm sending through back channels, every message I can possibly send to Clemson, South Carolina, to Trevor Lawrence. Hey, don't worry. You're not going to be playing for this guy. We're going to find somebody else. This is what we're doing. X, Y, and Z. Now, I'm not saying you go out of your way. You don't get in trouble. I mean, I, but if I can do it without getting in trouble or, you know, having it found out publicly, I'm sending messages to Trevor Lawrence saying, look, it's not going to be this way. There will be no Adam Gase. You know, this is our plan X, Y, and Z. Especially if you think that he's got reservations about coming to play for your, your organization. We just saw Travis Etienne go back to school when he really didn't need to. I'm not saying Trevor Lawrence will do it. I'm not saying he should do it. I'm saying we can't remove the possibility that he would or could or possibly consider doing that because his backfield mate in Travis Etienne just did it, you know, and, and, and da look, it's not, I don't think it's going to happen, but if you're Trevor Lawrence, you are not looking at the jets thinking that's where I've always wanted to be. I, right. You can't be thinking along those lines. Yeah. And unfortunately for him, he doesn't have the same pull up per se or passe power pulling power that guys like Elway and Manning have. What did Elway have? Oh, I could just go to the Yankees, guys. Yeah, I don't care about you guys. What did Manning have? I got my Paul Paul Archie Manning and my brother Peyton Manning that are going to tell San Diego no. What does Trevor Lawrence have? All he has is what Andrew, well, even Andrew Luck, he had a very well-known and respected father as well. But all that Trevor can do at this point is basically say, yeah, I'm going to stay in Clemson, Death Valley. That's all he can do at this point to avoid possibly going to the Jets if we think the season's going to end the way it is, which... I have no doubt that they're probably going to end that way, especially if they continue to start uh, Joe Flacco. And, and, and Smoke, I don't mean to cut you off, but since we, we have some some breaking news. Uh, we have some breaking news out of the NFL. It's not directly Jets-related, but you know, tangentially, because we were just talking about the Dolphins improving just by getting rid of Adam Gase. 
The Dolphins are going into a bye week. They have a bye here in week seven. And 17 minutes ago, the Dolphins have named Tua Tagovailoa their starting quarterback. Post-bye week, he made his NFL debut Sunday against the New York Jets. That cool video from uh, Cameron Wolf, who covers the Dolphins uh, for ESPN, where Tua went back out on the field Sunday after his you know, debut in the NFL, was sitting on the field where the drive ended, FaceTimed his parents, a really neat story. Tua Tagovailoa has officially been named the starter for the Miami Dolphins, and I mean, it was only a matter of time. I, I wondered how long they'd stay with Fitzpatrick. They're three and three with him, and I, I, it's two a time in Miami. So we'll get to see all those folks. By the way, saying that the Chargers or the Dolphins have buyer's remorse for drafting uh, Tua instead of Justin Herbert. Well, uh, Tua's going to get his chance to shine starting next Sunday. It's going to be fun, two a time, baby. And the Dolphins are a young, fun team. So it's going to be interesting to see how he does. Absolutely right. Coming up in 28 minutes, we'll talk to Chip Patterson, CBSSports.com. We talk some college football here in the lunch hour. But first, when we come back, Mike Florio of Pro Football Talk said one of the most bizarre things during last night's Cardinals-Cowboys game. And we got to talk about it next. You're in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ.